You're tuned in to the biggest balls of them all. That's right. Playing with Balls podcast. We got sports and comedy for that ass. With Shannon Lee and Rachel Cobb. Check. You about to go downtown, bitch, on the only podcast that sports platinum and brunette chicks. That's right. Playing with Balls podcast. You dig? Welcome to the Playing With Balls podcast. I'm Shannon Lee. And I'm Rachel Kopchak, coming to you from Santa Monica, California, in case you forgot. (laughs) We're always here. (laughs) One day we'll be on the road and I'll get to say something different. Yeah, maybe we'll be on, yeah, maybe we'll be in a studio other than yeah. the babe cave studio <laughs> although i like the babe cave it's like so wayne's world know. you know we got to get back in there because it's well it's been just so damn cold i that, know you know now it's like hopefully once it starts warming up we'll go back out there yeah and we have to um <laughs> like dr- it's cold i, I know mean, jesus i'm actually freezing right now I, I know it's getting cold anyway well i haven't seen you since we played golf i know and that was actually we talked about it on the last podcast mm-hmm. about the yips and you didn't have the yips I it was actually not. really fun i know I, I was really surprised well you know i was a nervous wreck yeah before we played even just thinking about it and like the whole day leading up to it i was like a wreck i was like just like just panicking you know like yeah. i just didn't know how how i was gonna react out there but i actually had you, so much fun you played really well for yeah, for not having picked up a club in two years and swung anything, I mean, I, I, this, it's there. The game is there. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of like, I got to get to the range. I'd love a couple range days and play a little more. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm ready to go back and play. I had so much fun. Good. We played with like the coolest group of guys, and I would say I'm in the same exact boat. Yeah. That's only the second time I've played in two years, and same need to go to the range. But like, it was funny how we both like have different like assets i guess mm-hmm. we're i guess is that the right thing to say like we're we it, it looks different like i remember i kept commenting to you our styles look different totally. so they are different but they get their like in the same amount of strokes yes. <laughs> yeah like we were just we would we were like literally weren't even like next to each other the whole time because we we're mm-hmm. just different hitting them in different places and all that stuff but it's like but we'd always end up with very close to like the same amount of strokes so it's yeah. kind of funny so but it's good evenly matched and it, it totally. makes sense too because um we haven't played in like around, around the same amount of time yeah. your drive um you can handle a driver and your driver particularly so well you drive really well off the tee um i could never use a driver i still don't even own a driver i use a That's three crazy. wood and so i was you know kind of p- pulling it a little i was coming over the top a little i mean i've i took so many lessons i know exactly what was wrong with my swing but normally i would let that just destroy me like i would just melt down because i would be like i know better play better like you know how to do this get out of your head and i've adopted this thing and i didn't even really realize i was doing it until later in the end of our round i would step up to the ball i would you know read the thing relax do my you know prep up to the ball just like you have your prep to the ball and i would say don't think me don't think me. You only hurt the ball club, which is from Bull Durham, <sighs> when he's like a horrible, you know, yeah. he's, like, he's like, don't think me, you know, and yeah. like I say that to myself and I wouldn't. And every time I did that, I would just hit it like beautifully, you know, so, you yeah. know, I understand that, though, because I mean, I've only played twice in like the last couple of weeks in, mm-hmm. in a couple of years. 
But I have felt so relaxed and I felt like a lot of the things that I'm good at with golf have naturally come back without um, without much of any, you know, tr- practice or anything before getting on the course. And I feel like I used to, it, I think back and I'm like, I used to get so mad. There was one time where I like literally made it to like the third hole and just like marched off the golf course and like went home. And I used to get really angry too. And I think a part of it was like who I was playing with was like very competitive, but not like with me, mm-hmm. but it just was like stressful but I also think like I was younger and so for some reason I just was more I just like didn't know how to have fun with it as much and I just like sweat this would sweat the small stuff just like in life Mm -hmm. and maybe now I'm like more mature and it's something I don't know but it has not affected me I mean god here I'll say that and I'll like go throw a club at someone like the next time I play but but seriously I think I have not had any of my old issues either that made me used to like if I had a bad round like it would ruin my weekend oh yeah so I totally understand it's just this thing with yourself you know I think the in just in the last like couple years because I I really did try to play golf again I tried to pick it back up when I moved out here and I just really struggled and I was so hard on myself and I think that's just how I I have been my whole life I'm trying to be a little more forgiving of myself and in everything and just you know not put so much pressure and just enjoy it and I did and I and I think it's as uh, golf we talked about this on the course it was like golf if you play golf it will tell you exactly where you are in your life yeah. because depending on what happens when you get out there you know you're really just playing with yourself not in that way and <laughs> like it will tell you where you are if you're getting really frustrated or if you're just having fun or depending on how you are mentally it tells you where you're at and what you need to work on and that well you know what i would say our game wouldn't you agree i i absolutely agree and i think it speaks to what i was just saying where like i i you know was in such a different mindset and i was afraid that that old mindset would come back Mm -hmm. when you know if you're playing poorly it's like this thing that you get and it's like then it gets in your head and then you play even worse but I haven't had that even after, after bad strokes um, mm-hmm. or one particularly like bad hole the last two times I played it. So I totally would agree. And I would say that uh, maybe we're both just juggling the balls of life a little yeah. bit better than we did <laughs> the last time um, we played golf. But yeah, I think it takes like a, a certain sense of maturity. Mm-hmm. And also like we're not like playing to be on the PGA tour, no. you know, no. um, maybe that's why all old people play golf because they're like in a good place in their life. I know because they were really <laughs> excited when they saw us. They were like, oh, my God, you're the t- you're not only the youngest people to play here in like forever, but you're also the only <laughs> girls. Yeah. The guy. Uh, what's to call it? The um, he's oh. the golf. I guess is he like the golf pro or yeah. whoever announces you to tee off. I don't know. Yeah. He was very excited. I don't think in like a gross old man way, just in like a, there's diversity out here. I'm like, oh, yeah, two white chicks. That's diversity. Yeah. <laughs> We're keeping the game alive because man. it's mostly just like 75 year old men, which is the guys we played with yeah. who were all really cool and nice, too. Yeah, they were so nice. And uh, the some of them were really good golfers. It was a really good. good course for us to like go back and, and 
can play yeah. on. I've I think that like that's a great course to like cut our teeth in with golf for mm-hmm. the next couple times and then go play like a more challenging course or something. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, hopefully this plus it's stays. very close. <laughs> yeah, hopefully this like mindset stays because you know that's what golf does. It hooks you in. You're like, oh yeah, this is fun, and then you start playing better, and then you have a bad game, and then you know I think it'll be a testament to see when we get further down the line what happens when we play more but i'm i'm down to play more and uh i'm ready to get back in the game and i think there's a reason why older people play golf when they retire a lot and it's not because they you know it's because they've learned how to make it therapeutic for them and that's Mm -hmm. what we need to do yeah you know so when we have bad games it's like fine maybe we're having a bad like day you Mm -hmm. know i mean maybe it's a lot of outside influences influence your ability to play you know and to clear your mind with it but i mean when it works it really works because i felt very like re-energized after Mm -hmm. we played yeah um i want to tell you all about my weekend and where i was but i also um want to let everyone know that we have a really special guest for people who love hockey if you love hockey or just love good stories we have um a gentleman mark who who produced this awesome documentary on the California Golden Seals. And he's going to join us here in a little bit to tell us all about it. And, I mean, who knew about the Seals, right? Because I didn't know. Well, did they, you know? I had no I idea. I had no idea. And so be, I did research, obviously. We both did at before uh, having, before we're going to have him on. And I learned, I'm so excited to learn more because this this team was around from 1967 to 1976 in Oakland Mm -hmm. and they like really like played a role in hockey when hockey 67 was the year hockey added six more teams to expand the NHL so that was like the year the Flyers Mm -hmm. um, uh, joined the NHL but it was just neat to like hear like to read some things about it and they're sort of like my impression is they're like the bad news bears of like (laughs) hockey but they like but p- people that don't know about them and love the sport like we do, mm-hmm. um, this is just such a cool like chunk of history that I think hockey fans and sports fans alike will like love to hear about. And the documentary is supposed to be really good. It's like won awards and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that this story is just really shaped the way that hockey's played today. So it's a cool little um, look back that I can't wait to hear more about. But um, so stay tuned. Yeah. Um, but I have to tell you about my week. You had like a little bit of a golf oh my God. weekend. So I had a job. I was checking your snaps and yeah. your instas. So I had to be super discreet because I was at Derek Jeter's celebrity golf tournament. That's so cool. Did you see a bunch of celebrities? Oh my God, Shannon. I can't even begin to tell you the my life can be very weird and surreal when you're like interviewing actors or you're on a red carpet or doing celebrity stuff and I'm you know it's it's just very bizarre and I'm very appreciative of it but I was standing in the room of legends like I'm standing next to Ken Griffey Jr. Shit. Derek Jeter, Johnny Damon, Tino Martinez, <gasps> Paul O'Neill. Oh my god. Like these like Grant Fuhr like these like legendary (laughs) athletes and it is the craziest thing like they're just all like I went into the clubhouse to get like a water or whatever and just standing there shooting the shooting the bull is like Griffey and all these guys who all like a lot of them played at the same time or you know were coming in when one was going out and it's just like it's the most un 
incredible thing. And so there's like two really cool stories. Um, one, Paul Canerco was there. I was way more excited to talk to Paul Canerco from the White Sox <laughs> than I was Derek Jeter. I was like, I don't care about Derek Jeter. Uh, I just want to talk to Paul Canerco. I would be the same way. And I totally like was so nervous to even like tell him that I was a White Sox fan. He's the nicest Why guy. Why were you nervous to tell him that? Because, you know, I, we're supposed to be really discreet. Like, like you're, you're not, not supposed, supposed to... to fan out. You know, I'm there. We're the only media there. It's me and my camera crew. Well, I'm sorry. You still had to tell him. Like, whatever. I, yeah. you, you had to slip it in. Just yeah. one for you, you know? Yeah, I did. So I didn't the first three times we interviewed him. And then finally we were on the course following him. And I was like, I told my camera I was like, I know we have footage of him already. I was like, we just need to, I need to see something just for my own self. And his wife happened to be there and she's sweet too. And, uh, she was sitting in the golf cart and I was just making small talk with her. Like, Oh yeah, I'm from Chicago. I was like, you guys still live there. And she's like, we couldn't give up our place. We just love it. And you know, I'm trying to maybe pick up golf cause Paul plays and, and then he like walked back and I was like, you know, I was like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm from Chicago. I'm a big Sox fan and we're a Sox family. And you know, it was a pleasure watching and you play and uh, you made it real easy to be a Sox fan in a mm-hmm. town where it's really hard and the wife goes yeah it's like 2005 never happened and I was like <laughs> exactly I was like well thanks so much and you, you know. I mean and also like you're interviewing these people there needs to be some human element that you're able to insert because if you could even have said that Bef- found like that avenue to say it before one of your interviews mm-hmm. they he would have been even a little bit warmer to you which is like yeah. what a good host does you know but you yeah. know you got to follow the rules i get that yeah. but it was really but you get that i mean yeah and if, it, and if you were in charge you would do it probably totally. a bit differently but yeah i mean it was like it was just unbelievable seeing these people um there's like a whole That's so cool that you got list. to meet him i mean ahmad rashad <gasps> Um, Ray Allen, oh Marcus Allen. Jesus. I mean, just like I would have I mean, died. I would have died. Yeah. I mean, it was like unbelievable. Oh my god, it's so sad that you couldn't like because I was checking all your footage and I, I just know, kept I seeing you I in a couldn't. golf cart, which was cute wearing cute outfits. But I, know, I, uh, I, I know. It. Well, it was for a different. It wasn't for playing with balls. But I know. at least I you got wish. some personal. You got to meet a, a socks guy. You yeah. Know? Um, and then what was the other story I was going to tell? Like um, what stuff? What kind of stuff were you interviewing them about? So it's you know it was all just. So we were basically the only. We were the only video crew there, and so we film everything. We interview everybody, and then we put it up on the feed for ESPN, local news, whoever wants oh, to, have and the like footage. shop it out or whatever. Yes. Yeah, so so that way you alleviate having like 80 media outlets at interviewing the same person, the same it's time, the same questions yeah. and you can control it. So we just had to stick really close to like, you know, how competitive are you? What's it mean to support Derek and the cause? The types of and, things that they, that are yeah. going to be bought for. Yeah. yeah. For air. Um, but, oh, I got to meet. Wait, but so you might be on ESPN? No, I'm in the back. Like I'm behind. Oh, like, you're I'm not, not doing interviews? Oh, I'm that... doing the interviews just off camera. Oh, they don't I see. I say, <laughs> um, but I got to interview Derek, and he um, he's a really nice guy, and he's he's a really private guy, so he's like not really you know into like doing long. He's a bit of introvert, and, yeah, an introvert. He's kind of known for that. Yeah, he's just like, all right, you know, let me just give to you what you need and get out of there. Yeah. And um, he's a pretty pretty decent golfer. Tanyan 
uh, Sturtz, who played with him. Um, he's a phenomenal golfer. He just, we, he's a great golfer. Some of them are really good. Some of them are not so great. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't know if I'm like supposed to call these guys out on here. Like, I don't know if I'm well, going to get in trouble, you know, but I don't know. Like the president of <laughs> rules. <laughs> I know. So Griffey is a pretty, pretty mediocre golfer, um, but he's hysterical. He loves to mess with media and interviewers. Uh-huh. So when we first interviewed him the first time, uh, the other person I was with was like, hey, Ken, can we interview? And he's like, for what? And, you know, we're all, like, absolutely terrified to talk to these people because you don't know how they are or if they want to talk or not. know that they have to do some level of that. You know, come on. If you're at Derek Jeter's, like, celebrity (laughs) golf tournament, come on. Yeah. And they're used to it. They've all done this. Come on. In years past. And so he is hysterical. He's he's so fun. So we were on one of the holes waiting. Uh, He was coming up and... Uh, I'm just standing there. My camera guy's getting video and, and Ken's talking to the guys he was playing with and he, they were saying something cause he's in the hall of fame now. And so they were like, Oh yeah, that was so weird about the way they did the ceremony or something. And he's like, yeah, he goes, let me tell you this story. When I, the day I got the call that I was going to be in the hall and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to get this like amazing story to hear the day Ken Griffey got the call that he's in the hall of fame, you know, and I'm like, oh my god, this is so cool! And he's like talking, and I'm standing there, just real chill, like not really listening. And he's going like, yeah. So, you know, we get the call, and my daughter decides where, you know, we're gonna go out to eat to celebrate for dinner. And then all of a sudden, the team playing behind him starts hollering at him. They're like hollering from like, you know, 100 yards from the (gasps) hole. And they're hollering, giving him a hard time. And it was Joey Fatone from NSYNC, who I love. But him and his whole team were just having so much fun messing with everybody. And I didn't get to hear the whole story. Oh, no. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, but this is, you know, this is fun. And they're having a good time messing with each other. Did he just stop telling the story or you just couldn't hear? He drove away and didn't tell the rest of the story. And I was like, well, I'm I wanted sure everybody to- else wanted to know, <laughs> know the story. So you weren't the only disappointed person. <laughs> Fucking Joey Vitone. Come I know. on. I, I don't know. I didn't even like the yeah, I don't even like boy bands, so that just pisses me off I even was more. Like, ah, you ruined Damn this it, why moment. was he even there? Come on. Yeah, he is uh, pretty good friends, I guess, with Derek, but the other two people that I got to interview was from the Backstreet Boys was AJ and Brian and I was like oh my god I don't even oh know god. who that oh is because like I grew up like I know all the dances no, and I, like yeah it was just they're so all of them so nice I got AJ to like sing a little ditty about Derek Jeter's tournament is he like the short one AJ's the one with the tats and the wears like black nail polish does he have like a mustache yeah he has like a beard sometimes I think I might know like who that super... is I know them by like how like their face yeah. you know I don't remember their I like and of course like Lance Bass I that's know that's an well that's because I've been writing Ruther jokes oh so, yeah there you yeah, go for Dirty Pop yeah um, so yeah so and Brian um, he is like the cute shorter blonde one um, he's so nice from the Backstreet Boys Anthony Anderson was there the comedian the mm-hmm. comedian and actor mm-hmm. Uh, Benjamin Bratt was there. Wow. Um, 
That's cool. A bunch of pro female golfers were there. They were all so nice. Nancy Lieberman, she was like the one of the stars of the WNBA, like the first ever WNBA like star, yeah. if you will. She's hysterical and she is so much fun and she's so nice. Well um, shit, your week was a hell of a lot cooler than my week. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it was it was uh I'm so grateful for the experience just to I literally just got to be a fly on the wall and just say, you know, hello and you know, make small talk with them. But yeah. I was just so it was a very it's a very controlled environment and I just could not step over the line like but still can't being ask there. For I mean I'm at the end of the day that, you know we yeah. do this work because we're sports fans yeah. and you got to be there and just like feed that part of like why we even do this you know and then you yeah. get this outlet to debrief in an uncontrolled environment I guess yeah, you could say right? <laughs> Uncon- yeah, yeah uncon- lack of control whatever we yeah. don't have rules or whatever that's really cool yeah but well, if, you, if, if you <laughs> I'll tell you more off air and if anybody who wants to know more off air off the record <laughs> stories I've got quite a few of those yes i'm excited to hear those i um, gotta keep my journalism job alive (laughs) yeah i don't i uh i performed at the improv that's pretty much all i did that's huge you've never performed at the hollywood at the hollywood improv yes i I guess i have you've been there yeah you came to my show up no i no i performed a bunch at the improv i just that's that's the one on melrose yeah oh yeah yeah you have i I get them mixed up um, I don't know. There isn't another one, but I um uh no, I've performed at all the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. top clubs in in West Hollywood, just not like that's a lot. What that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I performed there. I okay. just that's all I'm that's saying. I, that's all I did. Yeah, but that's good. Yeah, it's cool. That's and big. Yeah, it's exciting. I um I accidentally um pushed. There was a guy standing in my way, and I was like trying to get back to my seat. Um, I was at like a show. I was at one of the shows before my show, and um and I accident. And he was like real tall, and he was like crowding the walkway, and. And um, I was like, what's this guy doing? And I was like, I couldn't see. I couldn't move. I was just, like trying to move around him. So I, you know, I like tapped him on the back, the back. And I kind of like, I just nudged him a little. Yeah. So, cause, so I could, you know, I'm trying to walk past you. Um, and he turns around and he looks at me all confused and it's Pete Davidson from uh, Saturday Night Live and then at that moment as he's looking at me very confused um, I hear uh, the host say and please welcome to the stage Pete Davidson oh my god so I'm I basically pushed him (laughs) and I'm like hey sir get out of my way and uh, he was standing there like probably like going over his set which is what you do in the like the final moments before you go on stage Um, and here I am like some dumbass I you know I, I never cease to do something like just a little amateur or clumsy all the time but uh, I was so terrified for some reason he was gonna like get up on stage and be like yeah some woman just pushed me oh, <laughs> it's like the worst night I was like literally like shitting my pants I'm like okay cool that wasn't that it wasn't like that bad I'm probably making a bigger deal of it but it's just like of course that would happen to me mm-hmm. I, I, I pushed the headliner out of the way as he's like being announced on the stage that's why he's standing there you know yeah. so it's kind of a funny non-baller story because I wasn't acting as a baller but uh, the only other thing just that I've really been doing is just uh, getting ready for this draft and this weekend yes. and to see where my Deshaun Watson goes. He is one of the top round uh, quarterback picks from mm-hmm. Clemson. And um, so I'm excited to see where he goes. And then also just like 
getting into the NBA playoffs and stuff. Actually, you know, of all the series, there's eight. The most interesting one that I have been watching um, is the Celtics Bulls. Yeah. Because the number eight Bulls have have been kicking ass. I I say past tense because the Celtics have come back in the last two games. Mm -hmm. So it's tied 2-2 now. But it's like, what the fuck? The Bulls are eight. Celtics won, you know. And Mm -hmm. with Isaiah Thomas, his sister just died. I know. That story is incredible. I know. So he's like, you know, I mean, God forbid. Like, if that were me, like, I I don't even want to think about that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I could just, like, go do my job. I'd probably be, like, hiding under the covers somewhere. So Mm -hmm. a lot of credit to him. But it's almost more telling of like what the Celtics have been doing when they, they as they've been coming back. But anyways, yeah, I've just been no, getting all into true. it, into that series. Yeah. So it's a good what one. Did I, I, because I was working, I, you know, I didn't get to watch very much and uh, I got to watch some, some of the Memphis game the other night um, where they went into overtime. Yep. I was um, watching that game. Memphis play. That was, was a, horribly. That was a great game. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really, really good game. So it's, yeah, I'm excited. Like now it's getting interesting. You yeah. know, the first couple of games you're like, man. Well, you know, and also it's, it's. Or at least I am. I'm like, man, no, let's get to the, let's it, get to the exciting when everyone's like getting their footing and they're gelling. And well, now I mean, there's 16 teams and honestly, series. like, I, I mean, I gotta be honest, like. I don't give a shit about like the Spurs and the Grizzlies. I just don't like right. the Hawks. I don't care. Right. You know, and the Wizards, because um, I just don't like. Right. I don't care about the Atlanta Hawks right. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. Um. But it, I just, but I I like watching good games. That's all it is. So yes. that was a good game. But I've been getting into, I've been getting into the Raptors. I've been getting into um, OKC because uh, mm-hmm. Russell Westbrook is even though they're not winning, um, he had his first triple double mm-hmm. um, in, in playoffs. playoff history. Yeah, yeah. and then. Uh, the Celtics Bulls mm-hmm. um, and then of course Golden State I love right. watching Golden State they're killing it so yeah. anyways I've, I'm into like four out of like eight of them right now yeah and then of course hockey mm-hmm. we have yeah. to talk about this because we haven't talked about it yet well it also segments segues nicely into our I interview yeah. that's coming up in a couple minutes but well I mean for you mostly <sighs> I, I was watching the, the Hawks for you um, I know thanks sad sad that oh they God. lost yeah, they they really got. Yeah. It was not. It wasn't good. pretty. Listen, like I am not a bandwagon fan, and you know that. Yeah, and me neither. I was just uh, watching them for you, yeah, and no, also no, no, so yeah. I knew what I was talking about to when we talked about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they just like our our uh, like Stan Bowman said, like just disappointment, mm-hmm. and this isn't ho- Hawks hockey. Like, this is not Blackhawks hockey. This is not how we play. I know everyone was really disappointed. I know Patrick Kane in his post-game interview was like, or post-season interview was saying that, like, you know, I think maybe we thought we were better than we were because, you know, they wa- they had a lot of wins this season overall, but a lot of them were won in OT, and I gotta tell you, the Predators, you gotta watch out. I think uh, Washington, Washington Capitals and the Predators. Mm-hmm. I think this next series with the Predators, and I think they're playing the Blues. Um, that's going to be a really good, well matched mm-hmm. series. And um, I was really surprised at all the Canadian teams that made it this year into the playoffs. And uh, you know, now I, I have to pick a team to cheer for. Yeah, but you don't, I don't know. I think you. I, don't know. I always use this as my rule of thumb. Whatever <sighs> team was good enough to beat your team should be the team that wins it all. 
Exactly. So but I that, can't cheer for the predators. Why? They hate us. Oh. They hate hawks. You, yeah. You know when you go to Nashville, that's true. You can't buy tickets. You have to have somebody from Tennessee buy tickets to go to predators oh, games. You can't. No one can buy them unless you have a a, a Nash. A, uh, not a, a Tennessee like driver's license or address or something. You oh, can't really you can't wear so, Hawks gear in the stadium. Like it's, it's like not allowed. No, I did not no. know any of this. No, yeah, they're very like anti anybody else. Not just the Hawks, but like every other out well, of state team. Listen, I gotta appreciate any every team has their quirks. You yeah. know, so. I mean, at the end of the day. The Hawks are still a good team in the Western Conference. We're the Western Conference champions. That's something to write home about. Yeah. We're a good team. We're still going to be a good team for a little while. We've really got to work on getting some defensive players in there. We have a lot of forwards that we pay a lot of money. Yeah. And there's nothing we can really do about it. Like, this is kind of where we're at for a while because of their contracts and stuff. But, you know, they fired a coach today, one of the assistant coaches. And, you know, they're they're going to make changes. It's a good franchise i mean and you know you guys are a a playoff team you know playoff proven team i mean Um, we're we're forced but i just think a lot of these other teams coming up have really good young players and i think like the flyers yeah i think i've even (laughs) said it here a lot of the other teams are copying or or trying to do what the hawks did several years ago when we got kane and taze who were like 19 20 you know and just these powerhouses and you know that everyone's trying to get those guys and rebuild their teams young and fast and quick and the game's getting quicker and you know it's um it's it's interesting but that means you're doing something right if other teams are copying off you you know yeah i mean it's not i mean it's not just us no but but i'm just saying we did it really well they have a formula the hawks have a formula for success and yeah you know and and that's all i can hope when you talk about these teams coming up like the flyers have been in rebuild mode Mm -hmm. for a couple years now they like accidentally made the playoffs last year right. didn't make the, didn't make it this year but we have like Simmons who was mm-hmm. MVP in the All-Star game and like really um cl- we came really close to making the playoffs so i i think hockey next year has a lot of promise for mm-hmm. the Hawks for the Flyers and yeah. and outside of those two teams who really gives a fuck right you know yeah. i mean you you and i don't yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean it's fun to watch it's, no no but there's... i mean like in terms of like oh, yeah. our teams yeah. Oh, i mean yeah i don't care about anybody I mean, in case anybody didn't know, I'm a Philadelphia <laughs> fan and Rachel is a Chicago fan. Just in case. Just in case there, there was, was any, any confusion. confusion. Yeah. But the next, but I'm excited to talk about a hockey team that both of us can love mm-hmm. um, because it's a good story, which is the California Golden Seals. All right. Joining us now on the Playing With Balls podcast is Mark Gretschmill. He is the producer uh man behind the documentary film of the California Golden Seals and welcome. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here. Hi. We're so glad to have you. We, uh, I especially love hockey. Shannon does too. And when I heard this story, I did, first of all, I did not know cause I wasn't born in like, so I didn't know that this was really a team in this whole story. And I was totally engrossed and started reading everything. Tell us how did you even get involved with this project well it's it was kind of a labor of love it, it's the, the film is called like the team the california golden seal story and uh, when i was growing up I'm a, I'm a transplanted canadian and when i was uh, seven years old my parents uh, moved from vancouver uh, to to the bay area and so in uh, 1967 when the nhl expanded from mm-hmm. six teams to 12 teams uh, oakland uh, got an expansion team they, they came in the same year as the kings and the flyers 
and the penguins mm-hmm. and the blues. And uh, so my dad started taking us, my brothers and I, uh, to uh, games down the, like, was 10 minutes away. Uh, the tickets were pretty cheap. And uh, the very first game, uh, they were playing Toronto, and a puck uh, got... Uh, got shot into the stands and my older brother uh, Norbert uh, caught the puck so, uh, <gasps> oh that's fact, so cool in fact the puck is in the film when you see uh, there's a picture of uh, a hand holding a puck that's uh, that's the puck that he caught there so uh, oh wow yeah, so, that is so neat so now he knows about it so I can't sell it on eBay so, uh, <laughs> dang uh, it yeah so for the next nine seasons uh, we went to games so uh, uh, I kind of grew up watching the seals I would bring my super 8 movie camera and I would shoot highlights with my camera. Some of those that oh, footage is in the film. Wow. Uh, and the Seals, uh, it was kind of like a franchise where, where everything that could go wrong uh, <laughs> did go wrong. They're kind and of the so, bad news bears of hockey, yeah, if exactly. you will, at least from what I researched. Yeah, yeah. Every, every time things started to go their way, something disastrous would happen, whether it would be a, a crazy owner, a, a horrible trade. Uh, you know, the, the creation of the World Hockey Association that, that uh, you know, where half the team jumped to the new league. There was just a lot of bad things happened. But every once in a while, the Seals would just score this incredible upset against someone and it would re-energize everybody who was going to the games. That's so neat. Yeah, I actually read that they they did make the playoffs like twice in their during their run in season two and season three uh their very first season actually uh i mean if if i can get into the back history like people wonder why why did california get two hockey teams at a time when you know there were all these canadian cities like calgary and edmonton Mm -hmm. and vancouver that wanted teams Uh, what happened was that when the nhl expanded from six to 12 teams they had signed a, a tv contract with cbs and CBS dictated, look, you know, we're going to televise this game. We'll sign this contract, but we want to have two hockey teams uh, in the uh, in the two of the major markets in the United States, and that's L.A. and the San Francisco Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what happened was there there wasn't a lot of hockey history in Northern California. There was a Western Hockey League minor league team in San Francisco, and they played in the very ancient uh, cow palace which is kind of a oh a, a i've been barn. there before yeah. that is yeah. so funny yeah, it's, it's still still there but uh they had a they actually had a pretty good following over in san francisco um and so uh but uh what happened was that the uh, the nhl didn't want the seals to play in the old cow palace they wanted them to play across the bay in oakland in the brand new Oakland Coliseum Arena, which mm-hmm. at the time had a huge seating capacity of 12,500 people. <laughs> wow. Um, but the problem was, you know, and if you're familiar with the Bay Area or a lot of places mm-hmm. where there are bridges, yeah. people from one side don't like to go to the other side. So people from the Bay, uh, San Francisco didn't want to cross the bridge and go into Oakland, and people mm-hmm. from the East Bay didn't want to go over to, uh, to uh, San Francisco. So what happened was the people... Uh, didn't come over from San Francisco to uh, to see the Seals play, and, mm-hmm. and uh, so that especially that first season, you know, the the opening game, they only had uh, six and a half thousand uh, fans. Whoa. So it was a money drain right from the beginning. And that does that makes sense because that's still kind of the culture there. That's why you have two football teams, you know, with yeah. the Raiders and the Forty ers because it's so close, but it's still so separated. Yeah, and total different cultures yeah. and just ways of life. Yeah, plus, I mean, and, and you're right. I mean, there were so many sporting teams in the Bay Area, too. So I remember at, at that time, I believe there were only three skating rinks in the entire 
Bay Area, Jeez. I think it was Berkeley, Belmont, and I think Redwood, maybe Redwood City. But there weren't a lot of ice skating rinks So this at was that a real time. new concept it, for the it, Bay Area. It really was. They had to educate people about, you know, what is the blue line, what is the red line, what's <laughs> icing. Uh, and then in sports, you had the A's, the Raiders, the 49ers, the, you know, the Warriors. You had college football. So uh, mm-hmm. it was kind of an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. That, those battles then definitely led to the owner making some very interesting choices with this team. I mean, that's part of what makes this team special. What, what are some of those things that makes this team so unique, if well, you will? Well, the, the original owner was a guy named uh, uh, Barry Van Gerbig, who was kind mm-hmm. of a, like a, a wealthy socialite. Uh, his, he was the godson of Bing Crosby. Wow. And the reason he was heading up the Seals was he was one of those guys who kind of he played college hockey played olympic hockey he kind of knew everybody so he had a bit of a hockey background yeah he just kind of knew people he knew all these owners and so basically the league kind of said well you know why don't you run the team and you get your rich friends together (laughs) and you get the money and you know hockey and you can run it and uh uh, the problem was they had so many people investing in the team and it was kind of like, well, here, I'll give you some money. I'll give you some money. But, um, they too really, many hands in the pot, too, uh, too many, too many people who didn't want to give any more money when they ne- needed more of it. Mm. Another big problem was, uh, the first year they had a general manager and they hired a coach, a guy named Bert Olmsted, who was, uh, you know, a fantastic hockey player. He kind of maneuvered himself. So they got rid of the general manager. So he was a GM and the coach of the team. The Whoa. problem was, well, like a lot of sports, you could be a great athlete, but it doesn't make you a great coach. Mm-hmm. And he alienated his his players. Uh, he the very first one of the Gary Smith, the goalie, tells a story of their first practice. Uh, he made them uh, run a drill that's called uh, stops and starts. That's where, you, as a hockey player, you go across the ice as fast as you can. You stop and then you go back and back and forth and you can only do it a few times because it's such a grueling thing. Right. He made them do it for an hour, <gasps> and guys were throwing up on the ground. Oh, my God. And uh, after an hour, he said, okay, you guys are halfway there. And Sounds so, like military training uh, or something. It was, yeah, yeah, or like a, a hazing initiation. Yeah. So uh, things kind of went downhill, and the SEALs had been kind of picked to finish near the top of the new Western Division, mm-hmm. and uh, it, things just went downhill that mm-hmm. season. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so they brought in a new owner then eventually, right? right? And right. then he put up them in these like ridiculously flashy uniforms and made them wear white skates, which was only something figure skates figure right. skaters wore. That was the, and they, were they like totally embarrassed? I mean, you talk to these players. Like, what did they think of this ridiculous well, like, setup? Well, I have to explain why why they were wearing the polar bear white ice skates. Right. Uh, after season three, the SEALs were in bankruptcy, and a guy named Charles O. Finley stepped forward. Charlie Finley owned the uh, Oakland A's baseball team that was just starting its run of three World Series uh, victories. Now, he uh, was a pretty, pretty brilliant baseball guy, but he would brag to people he had only seen one hockey game in his life. I think that's the funniest <laughs> thing about your trailer when I watched it, when he literally said, "I." my favorite part was when he says, I don't know anything about hockey. That wasn't his exact quote, but it was like the way he said it was like he thought it was yeah. funny. Oh my and, gosh! And, and the cutaway is of two of the uh, the team's general manager and his assistant, and they just looked horrified. Right. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Finley was a very colorful guy. He was a master promoter. Uh, at the A's games, he had a, a mule called Charlie O that they would parade around the uh, of the field. Um, 
when he bought the team, actually, there were two people competing to buy the team. There was Charles Finley and there was a guy named Jerry Seltzer. Jerry Seltzer's father created roller derby. And uh, back in the early 70s, roller derby was actually a pretty big sport. Yeah. And Jerry Seltzer was a master promoter. He had gone and they had hobbled together all these TV stations all across North America. So they were doing roller, roller derby games at the Oakland Coliseum in the stadium, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in Madison Square Garden, all over North America. Um, so he teamed up with the owners of some American Football League teams and said, you know, I, we would like to buy the Seals and run this as a, as a, as a, you know, a great sport. And they created this 100-page document with <laughs> yeah. marketing plans, how we're going to promote the team, wow. what we're going to do, trades we're going to do. Um, Charlie Finley had a one-page document. That was his whole his thing for running the team. They had a big meeting in, uh, uh, in New York at a hotel with the NHL uh, uh, officials. And uh, they decided to go with uh, Finley because Finley said, look, you know, I'm just like you guys. You know, I grew up on the streets. I did this. I'm running. I'm going to run this team. Pulled and on the heartstrings, huh? Yeah. And as the uh, one of the people I interviewed was the, the uh, Oakland Tribune beat writer who mm-hmm. covered the team. And he oh, said, that's neat. He said once they, once they sold the team to the NHL, regretted it every day after that. <laughs> I was going to say, correct me if I'm wrong, but this yeah. was sort of the beginning of the end when Finley got the team, right? right it was like the yeah. last like two years or something, yeah. or six years maybe? Uh, he owned them uh, uh, the 70-71 season uh, and then uh, halfway through the 73-74 season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what Finley did is he, he thought he's going to, oh, I, I know how to sell hockey, you know, just like selling any other sport. Uh, so the first thing he did is he got them new uniforms and he got them Kelly Green and Gold uh, uniforms. Now, remember, he owned the Oakland A's. I was just going to say, say it looks the, just like the Oakland exactly. A's colors. So Oakland A's on ice. The, the, the green and gold. And if you remember, the A's wore their, their white, uh, their white uh, uh, Shoe. athletic shoes. Yeah. So. Uh, so actually, at first he had them wear green and gold skates. He wanted to have them wear white oh, skates right off the God. beginning, but that didn't that didn't work. Jeez, it sounds like they should be in the Olympics with these outfits. I know, yeah, right? Doing yeah, twirls, so, triple yeah. doubles. But the uh, but but when he when he came in with the polar bear white uh, white ice skates, as we called them, polar bear white. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in Canada. You know, if you play hockey, the only people who wear white ice skates are figure skaters. Right. So female mm-hmm. figure skaters. Yeah, the so, men don't even, do they? Right. No, the male yeah. figure skaters yeah. don't even. That's what wear I mean. That's yeah. why yeah. it's like they should be in the Olympics or yeah. something. It's, yeah. it's, it's not, it wasn't considered the most masculine thing for guys to wear. And there were a lot of problems with the skates. Uh, well, one, not least of which was back then there were still a lot of black and white uh, uh, televisions. So you're skating with white skates on white ice. So it would look sometimes like the players were skating on stumps because you couldn't <laughs> figure out where the where the uniform ended and where the skate started. Um, another thing was Finley uh, demanded that the skates be spotless. But during a game, you know, you're skating, the puck's hitting them, yeah. the skates, the stick is. And you're for going somebody the that already runs a sports organization, yeah. that's a weird. Re- it's a weird thing to yeah. It's like demand. telling a baseball player that their pants Don't can't slide. get dirty. Yeah. 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 He was he was just, you know, he was uh he was fanatical about that. And they, they talked about how he would come into the dressing room and, and the trainers had to repaint the skates. They had to do it by hand. So after a game, they would take, you know, the paintbrush and they would Mm-mm. like uh, paint the skates. And what I didn't realize, and all the players <laughs> mentioned this, 
is they were painted so many times during the season. So as the season went on, it was, there were so many coats of paint that they were having problems because they, they were so, so heavy. So heavy, I was just going to say, yeah. 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 Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so during this run, did they have any success in terms of, like, winning games? Well, they building were, a fan base, even they were they were that first year with with uh, when Finley owned the team, uh, they they didn't do that great. Uh, the next season, they made a trade and they got a goalie named uh, Jill Malosh. Now, Jill mm-hmm. Malosh at that time was I think twenty years old. Uh, he was a backup goalie for the Chicago Blackhawks, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he joined the Seals and. Uh, and I interv- interviewed him in Montreal, and he said the first thing he thought when he got traded to uh, to the Seals was, well, like, where's their farm team? Because at that time, nobody that young was playing goalie in the National oh. Hockey League. Wow. So, really? So, yeah. So they, How they, much it's, so, it's changed. changed, right? Yeah. So, picking so, them at 18 yeah. out and putting them on the ice. Yeah. So they, they brought him in, and uh, after a couple of games, he hadn't started yet, the coach said, Look, you know, we're going to Boston. You're going to have your first uh, start for the Seals against the Boston Bruins. Now, this is the Boston Bruins of people like Phil Esposito and, and Bobby Orr. Yeah, the like team le- that had, legendary. That had, I, I believe had won the, NA, the Stanley Cup the year before and were just a powerhouse on the ice. Yeah. So, uh, and Jill Malosh, you know, told me the story how terrified he was. He figured oh, yeah. uh, he was going to get bombarded. They would, they would you know, they would... Uh, you know, he'd be that was going to end his career. Uh, and one of the, one of the Seals players said, you know, yeah, they got to Boston, and his his whole attitude was, okay, let's uh, you know, let's not try to get him too mad, and we'll try to put him to sleep, and we'll get we'll sneak out of here and not get beat too badly. <laughs> so so Jill Malosh starts the game, and we have footage uh, from that game, wow. photos. And uh, Jim Malash said that night it, it felt like the puck was as big as a basketball. Oh, my gosh. And he was stopping everything. Oh, he wow. was stopping everything. And the Seals, they scored a goal. It was one nothing. And as a game, they started, the players started getting excited. Oh, my God. So we might win this game. <laughs> so in the third period, Boston and Bobby Orr and all these guys start, okay, they're, they're taking it up a notch. They're, they're gonna, they can't get be beaten by the, the, the California Golden Seals. And so uh, it, the, the game is going back and forth. The Seals players are playing the games of their lives. Jill Malosh is just outstanding. Um, Bobby Orr gets frustrated, and he takes he collides with another guy, and they, they, they tussle. They, they give Bobby Orr a penalty at the end of the game, so he, he's, he's out of the game at the very end. The Seals beat Boston two to nothing. Oh wow. my gosh! I was I was I believe uh, twelve years old at that time, but I remember you the don't next, forget that the game. Next day, reading that in the papers, and oh my god, the Seals beat Boston two to nothing. <laughs> yeah, so that was uh, uh, and and Jill Malosh in his interview said at the end he said you know it was like we won the Stanley Cup. Wow! And, wow! Uh, it was a real emotional high point, and and it looked like the Seals were going to do, uh, you know, that year they just missed the playoffs they just missed it but to a man they all said look so, so we just need a more a little bit more experience mm-hmm. you know next year is going to be our year and the next year there was a new league called the world hockey association and what year was this no. that would have been the uh 72 73 season okay uh and so what happened was started plucking the players the wha right. they wanted uh they wanted you know they needed players for all these new new teams um, so they started picking off players by paying them a lot more. So you had a whole thing where now, well, you know, the owners, well, we're not going to pay anymore. But some did, some didn't. 
Charlie Finley refused to pay them anymore. And the players were saying they were they were making some of them were making like thirty, forty thousand dollars a year at that time. Was that good or bad? Like well, I don't know what was the well, I don't that, know what well, the salary compared to were what then. they're making now. Well, right. well yeah, it, of course. It, but it's gone up so you know. You're talking about. But was time, that below the norm for that time period? Uh, that was normal for that time, but you know the the. the you know, if you adjust for inflation, mm-hmm. it, it that was um, uh, what they're making. Even adjusted for inflation now, they're making so much more. Right. You know, those guys weren't millionaires at all back then. Wow. Um, but you know, suddenly they're being told they can make twenty or thirty thousand dollars a year more fly, playing for the Minnesota uh, Fighting Saints or whatever right. whatever teams whatever, there were. Yeah. Whatever the name was um, then. <laughs> and so a lot of them. I mean, they're like Canadian kids who grew up saying, "I want I want to play in the NHL. That's my dream." Mm-hmm. And so they would go to Finley and say, "Look, you know, they're offer, they're offering me twenty thousand a year more. You don't have to pay me that much. Pay me like fifteen thousand, but you got, you got to pay me something more for me to stay in mm-hmm. Oakland." Uh, and Finley said no, and he and he, he bragged. He said, "Look, by Christmas, they're all going to come begging ba- begging on their hands and knees to come back to my team." The Seals lost nine players. I think it was five or six of their top scorers jumped to the new league, so they they, they were decimated. So that was that was a horrible time. So how did, did they Mil- even keep? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, did Milosh stay? Uh, he stayed. Uh-huh. He stayed. He wanted to play in the NHL, and then the following season, and it's, it's interesting. Even though the Seals would lose a lot of games, he was so dominant that he would he would keep them in games. Right, so close, often. close games. And yeah. I interviewed Wayne Gretzky for the for the film. Oh my and, gosh! And in the interview, Wayne Gretzky said he said at the, for a two or three year period, Jill Milosh. At that time, was the best player in the National Hockey League. Wow! That's really surprising. What that's high praise coming from uh, from Jim Lodge. So, how did they keep him? How did um, he stay for? The- well, well, he went to Charlie Finley, and he and it was actually the Minnesota Fighting Saints that offered him. Uh, I forget what it was. I think it was seventy thousand dollars a year, and he said, "You know, I mean, I want to play here, but you know, you, know, you got to do something." And he goes, "Kid, you're killing me! You know, you know Catfish <laughs> Hunter, the A's doesn't make that much money, and then so." I went back and forth, and Jill Malosh thinks that the NHL uh, stepped in and told Finley he had to pay him the, uh, a matching offer because they could not afford to let the Seals become a joke by, by, by him leaving. Well, and after wow. he lost nine players, I mean, if, for a businessman, don't, yeah. what, was his, uh, what was he thinking? Yeah, you know, and, and then being bragging, braggy about it right. too, because yeah. they to be they did not come back at Christmas, right? Right, they didn't, <laughs> okay. they did not so yeah, he was like yeah. totally proven wrong. Yeah. And things got even more bizarre, and, and we touched that in, in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just by the way, I, I interviewed over uh, thirty former players, Whoa. team so officials, cool. and journalists. And this 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 whole film was a labor of love thing for me. And uh, you know, my, my normal job, I, mean, I was a producer at E! Entertainment Television. I did 25 episodes of the show called True Hollywood Story. I probably that so, used to be my 25. favorite. <laughs> I wish they still had it. Yeah, me, me too. I still remember information yeah. that, I'll, oh, yeah. I, that I'll credit to E! True Hollywood uh, Stories. Yeah, so, so we so, credit you. Okay. Yeah, so, so, <laughs> great show. So, so, I, so I love doing that show, but, you know, you'd have a full crew. You'd go out and shoot. You'd have, you know, a camera guy. You'd have a sound guy. Mm-hmm. And, and this, it was just me with my camera and my lighting gear and the sound, you know, uh, you know, the sound gear, and I would, I traveled across Canada and the U.S. to to, to do the interviews. Wow. So I was, it was I was doing it on a micro budget. Mm-hmm. Um, so where was I going? I was going to somewhere about oh, we, the. Uh, she was saying something about the money, like uh, the business decisions. Yeah, and... I mean, just I was confused about how 
he would he, like where his thought process was, where he was coming from, and how they were able to keep Milosh and you know through the through the end because they that's ultimately yeah. why they they stopped they stopped being a team they well, stopped being a team correct well well yeah well that was, it was actually more complicated what what happened with the seals at the end but uh, but you know Milosh stayed because they gave him the same amount of money that he would have stayed in the WHA okay um, but. Uh, but Finley, oh yeah, I'm sorry. That's what happened? The uh, the seals at at that time they had a general manager who had become the coach. Uh, he was so desperate to keep uh, the players from leaving that he started uh, having them sign duplicate contracts. So he would he would uh, have them sign one contract for one amount, show that to Charlie Finley, ah. and then and then have them sign another amount ah. that he was getting paid. Oh my goodness! So, and I guess he thought that wasn't going to catch up with them, but it did. And as uh, as uh, the, the uh, Oakland Tribune writer said, when, when that when they found out about that, so the guacamole hit the fan. <laughs> yeah. So was he paying them more money then? Uh, they were they. He, the players thought they were making more money. Oh, I um, see. He was yeah. doing the smoke and mirrors kind right. of thing. Yeah. I see. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah. So it was. It was. Uh, it was. Uh, it, it didn't. It didn't turn out wow. well. Wow. He wound up getting forced out. They actually had made him do a, a, a lie detector test. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, so, Did he go yeah. to prison for that? I mean, uh, that's no, kind no. of that could be illegal. No, he was. He was kind of forced out. And uh, a lot of problems in the franchise. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. But 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 you know Charlie Finley for for all his cheapness. He was incredibly generous in other ways. Uh, like, like it, it, he was also a forward thinker. Like, he was thinking ahead about some things. The Seals were the first team to have their names on the back of the jersey, something really? that you see in all sports now. But at the time, it was so revolutionary that some of the other teams, like Detroit and Toronto, the owners there, said, oh, my God, you know, if the players come in with their names on the back of the jersey, they're not going to buy programs. So we're going to lose money from the programs. So no. So the Seals had to travel with, with two sets of road jerseys. So when they came to those cities, they had to wear uh, road really? jerseys without the names on there. People aren't going to buy programs. I don't understand that. Oh, to know who's the, 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 the players name were, with the number. Yeah. Like if they didn't oh, know their numbers. Oh, it took me a oh second gosh, too. I was like, so wait, what? Funny. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. That's but, so like, funny. You know, like if it was your team, wouldn't you know the number two was so and so or whatever? But, but the opposing team when they came to town. Oh, yeah, so I see CLC, what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, but he made them. But he made them do Jesus. stuff like they had to travel. We, we actually we have one of these in the film. They had to travel with these green and yellow suitcases on the team. And, you know, nowadays when sports teams travel, they travel on chartered jets. It's all first-class seats. But back then they used to travel just with, you know, on a regular flight with the public, you know, in, in coach. They said sometimes they'd be on the East Coast and they'd be on the same flight with an entire NBA team going to the really? same city. So Charlie Finley said, look, <clears throat> you know, you're in California. You guys travel further than any other team besides L.A. Mm -hmm. So when you guys go cross-country, you're going to fly first class. Wow. And the players went, oh, my God, first class. You know, <laughs> they're, they're so at that time, the 747 was a brand-new airplane. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're, you're too young to remember this, but, you know, they have an upper deck. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the planes at that time, first class, they had a lounge up on the top. So you had, a, like, couches, and you could sit there and, you know, have your drinks. So... Um, uh, on the first time they flew on the 747, uh, one of the players, you know, they got on the plane with their green blazers and their uh, their yellow and green suitcases. <laughs> and one of the guys went up to the upper deck, and he looked around, and he went to the restroom. He stripped to his shorts. He threw water all over himself, 
He came down the steps and said, guys, the pool upstairs is great. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. How much the game has changed. That was something that I really found interesting was like, you know, now they all fly on their own private planes. They can sleep. Mm -hmm. They have all the food and drinks they could ever imagine. But like to hear that they used to just fly coach. And I mean, could you imagine being a passenger on a flight next to their team and the NBA team? And they're just like (laughs) sitting there next, like you're in the middle seat next to these guys. Like, are you kidding? There's something really cool about that too, you know, because a lot of teams were like that football, you know, when they first were getting started. So what were some of your favorite moments as you were, you you know, it's a labor of love. So you, you probably had so much fun making the documentary. What yeah. were some m- moments that you well, were sort of highlights for you? Well, there was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of anguish. I mean, not I would say anguish, but a lot of uncertainty because I had the license footage from the NHL hmm. and they had to approve the script. But, you know, I'm, I can't write the script until I did all the interviews. So there was always this yeah, whole nah. thing. Am I going to be able to, are they going to approve it? You know, mm-hmm. which, which they did. But it was also finding visuals because back then a lot of those games, very few games in Oakland were televised. Plus, it's been 40-something years, you know, where's the videotape? Yeah, you know? who has, and, what uh, warehouse is that uh, in? And so I, I was lucky. I mean, I found there was a uh, – uh, back then a lot of the TV stations, news stations shot their footage on film. And they had donated to a library in the Bay Area. Ah. So I went there, and they had all these, you know, hundreds of film cans that hadn't been opened for 40, you know, four decades. So I found great footage, like the footage oh, man, where, like where, a Charlie, gold mine. Right, mm-hmm. where Charlie Finley was there. Uh, there was one station, um, I don't know who John Miller is, the voice of the San Francisco Giants. Mm-hmm. Uh, he started one of his first gigs. He did some t- uh, play-by-play for the Seals telecast. But he and, and, a, and a, one of his associates, they still had some old two-inch videotape uh, oh in gosh. a closet that of, of the seals playing. Wow! Uh, people would call me up and say, "Hey, look, you know, I, I went, I see, I hear you're doing this film because I did a crowdfunding campaign." Uh, you know, I would go to games. I sat behind the bench with my Instamatic camera, and I took pictures. You can have them. You, know, you can use them. This is like treasure hunting oh, for you. It, it, was, it, was, it, was a, it was a real detective hunt. But people would, would send me home movies. One of the things, after Finley left, um, the SEALs had, they didn't have any budget for, for things. One year, their entire advertising budget for the entire season was $5,000. Oh, my gosh. So the team was trying to promote you know the the the, the, the uh, PR people like any way they could, and back then in the early '70s there was a uh, uh, streaking was really popular, and the streaking was on college campuses where like people would like. I think I heard about this. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> old school. So at one game they hired the girlfriend of the stick boy uh, to uh, to come you know to come to the game to sneak underneath the uh, stands wow. to come out of the players' bench. I was at this game as a kid. No, um, and. Uh, um, so, cool. so they told this is like between the second and third period, and they told the, all the press there. Oh, you said you might want to stand here in the corner. There, you might <laughs> something might happen uh, between the second and third period. And um, I remember because you, Austin, you heard all this screaming as the players started coming on the ice, and she skated across the ice out of the players' bench, across the ice, and out the exit. Of course, the photographers got uh, great pictures, naked but with skates. Naked. She had a. Um, <laughs> She had a seals written on across her chest, and she had a seal sticker in a, a strategic area, uh, uh-huh. a little round sticker of place. Um, not only do I did I get a photograph of that, 
but a woman uh, that I met doing this film had Super 8 film of, of her skating across the oh ice. Oh, my gosh. So, that, so that's in the film That definitely well. made the yeah, film. So, yeah, yeah, so I had to play. <laughs> the had to play, one like, small <laughs> provocative. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What did you think when you were a kid watching that happen? Uh, yeah, that was, yeah, I think I was... I, how old was I at that time? I was probably like, I think, 13 or 14. You can I, play the fifth and um, yeah, I, I don't think I had seen a naked... I had two, two brothers. I hadn't seen right. a naked girl by that point. So, uh, so did it help with the press, though? I mean, did it really actually do what they intended? Their, their PR guy, a guy named Len Shapiro, told me they got more publicity from that uh, than, yeah. than most of their games. So that's what maybe when uh, they did like that Janet Jackson, Justin Timberlake thing, oh, that, that's yeah. what, they, took a, they took a play from the uh, Seals. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> something and then they had a cheerleader too right or something like that Cra- crazy george uh and crazy george would later become a professional cheerleader uh, he's 72 now i believe and he's still doing that he he would go all over north america uh but he started with the seals mm-hmm. uh, he was a high school teacher in the bay area he went to a seals game uh with, with one of his classes and he he had like a drum and so he was like a real, like, you know, let's get everybody cheering. So he, he got the drum and he started going up there and leading cheers. And it kind of electrified the crowd. Mm-hmm. And after the game, uh, one of the SEALs uh, PR people came up to him and said, hey, look, anytime you want to go to a game, let us know. you got a free ticket. So he wow. started going to a, a few games. And I remember, like, what a what a big deal this was. And, like, he would show up, like, crazy you know, like, halfway between, like, you know, in the first period and boom, 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 boom. Everybody <laughs> would go crazy. So after a few games, because they realized this was really electrifying the crowd, they hired him at $50 a game. Uh, in fact, it was on the, on the contract, $50 a game, no sex on, on, <laughs> on the contract. Uh, and so he, uh, um, you know, he, he would do that. Uh, one of the things that he would do, though, he would like he would really antagonize the other players because they'd be getting ready for a, a, a face-off, and he would sneak down the steps on the glass right behind the guys and start pounding the drum, and the guys would jump out of their skates. And there was a guy, uh, Terry O'Reilly from the Boston Bruins. He was in the penalty box. And so uh, Crazy George came down oh uh, behind him and started pounding the drum. <laughs> and so uh, Terry O'Reilly, who was one of those enforcer guys, you know, he threw his stick at Crazy George. <laughs> he threw his gloves at Crazy George. And then he, he climbed out of the penalty no. box uh, with his skates and tried to run up the steps and chase him there. So uh, Sounds more like yeah. the mascot. He, man, they should have named after, because the Philly fanatic, <laughs> reminds me of the Philly fanatic or like the original Philly fanatic, oh, you know? Okay. They should have named him like the Golden Seals fanatic oh, okay. or something. <laughs> It's, it's like it's so interesting how much this team has influenced the way hockey is now. Just with Crazy George and the drum, like yeah. every the Blackhawks, uh, Tommy the Tomahawk, yeah. he has a drum. They bang everyone bangs a drum. I think yeah. there's one like all the teams have that now where yeah. the mascots walk around. Yeah. Like who knew that this was going to shape so, so much of the of the game from even just flying yeah. and the money and everything. You know, well George was so effective that. Other teams wanted to hire him. Then, actually, when the Seals uh, left, they, he was actually hired by Colorado. And then he made a career of, of doing this, like they, he, corporate events, sporting events. All these people think that uh, that the first game 
that he was from their city, but he started in the Bay Area. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow, that's so neat. Yeah. Can we go back to Gretzky? Yeah, sure. oh, and yes, that yeah. was actually my next yeah. thing. Yeah. So tell, just just dish all, right. all of the Gretzky. Well, yeah. well this, this, this was my Hail Mary <laughs> it, thing. By the way, is this your baller story? Yeah, the just Gretzky? Just, uh, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> so, yeah. I, I actually have, I have two. I can, I can okay, do the short we'll one. take both of them. So, um, so Wayne Gretzky, I had read that the very first NHL game he ever saw as a kid was a Seals game in Toronto when he was five years old. Wow. His, his, his uh, grandmother took him to a game. And so I thought, oh, geez, you know, I'd love to have Wayne Gretzky. And I actually, I started my TV career after I went to UCLA and after I graduated, I went back to Canada and I worked in Edmonton for five years. And this was in the early 80s when the, when was the, 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 the peak of the Gretzky era. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I never met Wayne, but I saw him a lot of times. You know, we, the station I worked at, we, we televised the older games. Um, but I'd never met him. I had talked to his his uh, old manager at one time, his, his uh, business manager. And so um, I tracked him down, and I sent him an email and said, hey, look, you know, uh, you wouldn't remember me, but we spoke back in 1983, whatever it was. <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, I'm doing this documentary. I'd love to see if Wayne might want to do an interview. And, you know, what, what do you suggest? And he emailed me right back and said, look, you know, he, uh, I don't manage him anymore, but this is who does. Here's his email. Uh, send him an email. Tell him that you talked to me and uh, let me know what happens. So I sent them an email. Uh, they sent me an email back in like an hour. I said, oh, hey, it's okay. Great. You know, uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk to Wayne. We'll get back to you. And so, okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay sure. Yeah. Uh, when, when hell freezes over. I mean, I didn't <laughs> expect anything to happen. So a week later, I get a call. And he said, oh, uh, um, yeah, we talked to Wayne, and he liked to do this. <laughs> okay. And so the only, the only thing was... Um, How excited were you? I, I was very excited. Yeah. And uh, um, <laughs> But he wanted to do it uh, at the Four Seasons Hotel in, in Westlake Village outside of Los Angeles because mm-hmm. he lives near there. Mm-hmm. And so I had to get a small room uh, to, to do that. And I brought my... like that this For this one, I brought my neighbor with me. Just to beef uh, yeah, up your to, crew. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Who knew, who knew? Who knew nothing about hockey, but he knew who Wayne Gretzky was. Stand around uh, and look yeah. important. Yeah. So, uh, um, so they said, okay. The only thing is, you know, Wayne's very tightly scheduled. Uh, you can have him for eight minutes, but that's it. You know, he has to go. You know, like he, he's he's he has a full schedule. You know, do you, if you under, if you realize that, then you know if that's okay with you. Then, then we can do it. So, okay, great. So. So, uh, and, and I forget what time it was. I think it was supposed to be there like at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. And so I'm waiting in the lobby, and it's 10, it's 10.05. His assistant arrives. So I said, have you seen Wayne yet? I go, no, <laughs> where, where is he? So, well, he's supposed to be here. And so and so we're walking around trying, to, and we're asking people, have anyone seen Wayne yet? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and so we're going in the restaurant, so they all know him. So, no, we, no, we saw him earlier. And we go, where's Wayne? Did he leave? You know, the, well, he parked his car in valet. Oh and God. so I don't know. And so. Like eight minutes. We're, we're looking around, and then finally, uh, uh, his assistant looks for him. She says, I'll meet, meet, meet me back at, at the room. I'll, I'll try to find him. And so then we run into him at the, uh, oh. in the hallway. And so uh, he comes in, and he couldn't have been nicer. You know, he, he, uh, he sat down. And he's probably thinking, <laughs> he's like, what do you do? One camera. And, uh, but he knew the, the, the story of the SEALs. He knew their history. Um, he talked about how his grandmother took him to that game, and the SEALs goalie was a guy named Gary Suitcase-Smith, Suitcase, because he moved to all these teams, uh, who I also interviewed for the, for, the, for the thing, for the documentary. 
and he was famous for trying to score a goal. He would skate up the ice as a goalie trying to score a goal. <laughs> so he was famous for that. Trying to have and, all the glory. Yeah. So, so Wayne saw that, uh, and then flash forward like 12 years, uh, when he breaks into professional hockey, he, he played for the WHA um, uh, Indianapolis Racers for, I think, like eight games or something. Mm -hmm. uh, who's the backup goalie for the team? Gary Smith and their roommates on Aww. the thing. Oh, cool. So he tells the story. He said, I saw you playing when I was a kid. Said, what, what the hell were you trying to do? Trying to skate up the ice. Yeah. <laughs> and then he talked about the white skates. Mm -hmm. He knew the families of two of the Seals players. Uh, you know, he talked about the team's legacy. So he was fantastic. He stayed longer than eight minutes. Aww. And then uh, what, what I tried to do, everybody I interviewed, I gave them like a Seals t-shirt or a Seals hat. So I had a table uh, set up so you know and we, we got up and, and I thought you know it would be great to have a picture he, he's asked so many people uh, you know to take a picture with them mm -hmm. and I said would it be okay if we took a picture you know my, my friend Ty and mm. you and just a picture he goes um, and, and, like, together the three of us he goes uh, no no um, we'll take a picture each of us you know Together, you know, so does everybody gets a picture. Like, so it was great. And then I, I thought, well, I have a seal jersey. Would, would he let me hold the seal jersey up? He saw it. He grabbed it. Oh, good. I have that in the picture. So, so he held up the seal jersey. And then he posed for a picture with my friend Ty. And as he was leaving, he looked at the table and he saw all the, the, the swag I had brought. He goes, oh. I go, well, Wayne, I know you don't have enough things with hockey logos on them. <laughs> and so I gave him a baseball cap and then he, uh, uh, a, a Seals beanie. He said he's going to be playing golf at Pebble Beach. So he's going to wear it at Pebble Beach. How so amazing. I'm, so I'm very grateful for Wayne. And the other thing was I interviewed um, the goalie Jill Malosh mm -hmm. uh, in Montreal. Uh, and he became the, the, the coach for the Pittsburgh, the goaltending coach for the Pittsburgh Penguins later. He's still involved with hockey. He's like 63 now, I think. Uh, but I didn't realize that if you're part of a uh, Stanley Cup winning team, you get a uh, you get a ring. You, well, that and you get a miniature Stanley Cup. No, and so he had three of them. <laughs> wow, like this big. So, so he kind of wanted them in the background of, of the uh, of the uh, the shot. So he used them as in the background. But then afterwards, you know, we were talking about. I uh, said so I didn't know that you know you guys got the uh, this little Stanley Cup thing. I, I took actually I took a picture with them with me holding the miniature Stanley over Cup head? over my head. I was gonna say, did you uh, drink out of it? Did you dunk a, so put cool. a baby in there yeah. or like yeah. you know have breakfast uh, out of yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'll do that next time. But <laughs> yeah. but, um, but we talked about the rings. And he goes, well, do you, you want to see my rings? And so he, he, uh -huh. he went out. Some he went upstairs wherever it was. He came back and he had this beautiful little case and he opened it up. And there's, I, I can't remember, the four or five, but his Stanley Cup rings in the thing. And that was, that was pretty impressive to see. So cool. That's yeah. so neat. Yeah. And he was such an influential, you know, important part of the team, yeah. too. So, yeah. And that's neat, going back to Gretzky, that that's the first, Seals is the first game he saw. I'm sure that mm -hmm. influenced his view on hockey, yeah. you know, forever. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, he, he knew they weren't a really great team. But he, he tells a story about how his dad told him, he said, look, Wayne, you should hope that, Teams like like uh, Oakland and L.A. and and mm -hmm. Pittsburgh that they do well because 
if they do well, there'll be more places for a guy like you to play professional hockey. So, so that and then look where he ended up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? he did all right. He, he did, did okay, okay for himself. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, have, I have a random question. Did you interview um, the player Mike Christie? No, no, I, I did not. But but he was kind of famous in the. He was actually a really good-looking guy, a really mm-hmm. good-looking player. But he was part of a huge brawl with the Philadelphia Flyers. That's what I was going to yeah. talk about. He yeah. made top two of their ten most brutal um, yeah. incidents in history. He made number two, and I didn't even know who they were, so it taught me something. Yeah, I, w- I was at that game. Were and, you really? And, yeah, and we he got jumped. Uh, yeah, he there was. Uh, <laughs> we go into quite a bit of detail in the film about the huge rivalry between the Flyers and the, and the Seals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the Seals players talked about how there are certain players that would they were up for every game, but there were certain players that were scared of the Flyers, and they would get what was they called the Philadelphia flu. Mm-hmm. They, would, they would fly to uh, they would fly to Philadelphia, as one of the Seals players were camped and said, you know, you, you go to Philly, so you play on adrenaline, you fear for your life. They had well, the Flyers <laughs> at that time had like a gang mentality. They, they, had, the, they had the Broad Street Bullies. Yeah, yeah. did yeah, still they, do. Philadelphia uh, fans. They was just, just, you know, no, the team. Yeah. No, yeah, no, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But. No, but they were actually they were. That was their time. That was their space in history where they really had yeah, a reputation. Schultz and Bobby Clark. Every team, yeah, yeah, yeah. every team was yeah. scared to play the Flyers. Yeah. So they they had some really pretty brutal games, uh, and then they had a game in Oakland. And as I mentioned, I was at this game. And they set the record of that game for the most penalty minutes in the NHL, <laughs> a record that lasted for a number of years. Interesting. But one of the things that happened uh, near the end of the game is uh, uh, the the Philadelphia players ganged up on on one of the players, Mike Christie, in the penalty box. Four players. And, and there was a there was a there was a big beating in there, mm. uh, and there was a lot of uh, 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 suspensions after that game. And teeth the NHL lost. came on, yeah. So. Uh, the, the seals players. I mean, I could see the guys' jaws, like you know, they said, "Yeah, that was not a, that was that was a, not a, that was not a good game." They yeah. were. That was. Uh, it's uh, a little scary. Yeah, well, yeah. Christie had said point. what I read was Christie fought Dave Schultz first. That was yeah. like you know originally what happened, and then when he was in the penalty box later because of that yeah. fight, four of the players went into the penalty box and jumped him. Yeah, it was it was really brutal, and I believe he had a lot of stitches. I think he was in the hospital for a bit after that. I mean, but, for for their peppered history, as you know, yeah. the Broad Street Bullies, they yeah. uh, for the Golden State Seals to make uh, number two, you yeah. know, yeah. Um, yeah, that's pretty. Pretty, yeah. and but I wouldn't have known much about that before this, so I, it taught me something. It's yeah. really cool. Yeah, and one thing about that game, the Seals beat the Flyers in that game too. So. <laughs> of course, they did. Yeah. So then, this lastly, the Seals then got folded into the Sharks. Then, uh, well, or what well, happened? Like, well, how well, did well, where for, did it go? Well, what happened was in for the seventy in the seventy three seventy four season, halfway through. Uh, Finley was running the team into the ground. He wasn't spending any money on the team. They didn't even have a. They didn't have a TV contract. They didn't even have a radio contract. You couldn't oh, even wow. listen to the games Jeez. on radio. So the NHL said, well, "Look, we got to we got to do something." So the NHL took the team over, uh, and then they they ran them for the rest of that seasons and for seventy four seventy five, um, and then uh, they, they changed their uniforms. They came to like this Pacific blue <laughs> uniforms, um, and then they they a guy named. Um, uh, why am I blanking on his name right now? Uh, okay. um, but a, a, a gentleman who owned the uh, uh, Mel, <clears throat> sorry, Mel Swig, he was, he was a hotel owner in San Francisco. He bought the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that last season, 
the Seals were playing actually really, really well. Uh, they were playing well. They, they, they barely missed the playoffs again. Their attendance was going up. They had exciting new players, guys like, by the name of Dennis Marook and Rick Hampton. Uh, so there was this real feeling that the team was really going somewhere. Uh, and Mel Swig was very politically connected. Uh, they made a deal with the mayor of San Francisco, Joseph Aliotto, that they were going to build a new arena in San Francisco because they realized the Oakland Coliseum wasn't big enough. So this new arena in San Francisco was supposed to be built. Uh, Aliotto's term termed out. The new mayor came in, and they killed the deal. Mm. Uh, and so at that time, they realized there was, there was no future. And they didn't, the players didn't even know at the last game they played in 1976 that that was their last game. Oh, that's kind of sad. A month later, they said, we're moving to Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, as one of the players, we know how well that turned yeah, out. as one of the players said, he said, "Look, if you had a choice between living in California and Cleveland, then where are you <laughs> going to pick?" You know? And uh, well, and I read something funny about that. So, or I, I thought something funny when I read that. What was their that mascot's name? The Cleveland Patrons? Is that how you would pronounce it? Uh, I don't know if they had. I don't know what their what their logo, or what their mascot was, but it, it was Patron, and, I, and it, I'm like. Man, that sounds so similar to the like Patron or Patron Browns, but also like oh. Cleveland Browns. You know, it's oh, like okay. where teams go to die, kind of a thing, oh, and that's yeah. sort of like how they ended. Yeah. Well, they play. They played at the Richfield Coliseum, which was kind of built between Cleveland and Akron, mm-hmm. and it was way out of the city. So they expected all these people from all these cities to come to, and they wound up having a lot less attendance that, that they had in in Oakland. Jeez. Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have, we have pictures of players. Uh, from from Just that crying. era, where where <laughs> you see them playing, and all the seats behind them were empty, Aww. and they talked about it. So sometimes it was just felt like it was them and the ushers mm-hmm. at the game. Wow. So, um, who's your team now? Uh, with the Sharks, because w- what happened was the 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 Seals. Uh, the, the, the Barons, after two seasons, they were absorbed into the Minnesota North Stars. Or the Barons, not the Barons. Yeah, I don't know yeah, where I got yeah. Patron. Barons sounds more like Browns. Anyway. That's a very weird name yeah. to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, and then uh, the, the fellows who owned the, the North Stars, they made a deal to sell the team. The team moved to Dallas, mm-hmm. but they got the rights to the San Jose Sharks. And that, so there's a bit of a... The seal DNA in both uh, in both, both teams, yeah. and San Jose was a good place to stick them because they got so they get so many more fans because like even down when I lived on the Central Coast, everybody's a diehard Sharks fan, and I mean that's yeah. a good hour and twenty five minutes away. Yeah, I, I did some stories about the startup of the Sharks in, in ninety, I think it was ninety one, and you know they they realized all the mistakes that the seals had had made. So they they were really smart about starting it out there. Mm-hmm. Oh, I should mention by the way, but the, mm-hmm. my, the film The California Golden Seals is, is available on, on I, only on iTunes. Oh, we oh, were yeah, going to ask you there. there. Don't so, worry. So, uh, yeah. Uh, and so um, and uh, so uh, you know, I went. The Sharks were actually really good because I, I I interviewed some of the players and shot footage at, at one of the games. The film was already done. I finished it up in, in December, but this past January, the Sharks had a Seals tribute night because oh, that's because so cool. This year was you know fiftieth uh, years when the Seals started playing. All right. So uh, even though that was already uh, the film was done, uh, they invited six Seals players to to come to uh, San Jose. I flew up for that. I, I brought my video camera. That video is on YouTube if you mm-hmm. look up the Seals uh, tribute night. I think I saw night. that. Yeah, yeah. and. It was really interesting because I'm in the room with the players, and I knew them all from the interviews, and they weren't sure what was going to happen. They, they, they were saying, 
is anybody really going to care? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, they knew they were supposed to sign autographs at <laughs> yeah. the table, you know, by the end. People entrance. are going to know who we are. Yeah. yeah. So is, is anyone really going to care? And so when they went out there, uh, and and the and they were the sharks were giving a seals uh, T-shirt to everybody who uh, who came to the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the doors opened, I have never seen so many seals jerseys. Wow! People had brought replica jerseys, uh, and they mobbed these guys behind the oh, tables. Oh, that's so cool! They were like five, six deep. People were like one of the seals players' wives was saying, "Oh my God! You know, she brought a stick that she said Jill signed in 1971 and wow. wanted to show it to." Cool. And then they had a. Um, um, uh, before the game, they had a ceremonial puck drop, uh, and I was, you know, I, I was with my camera. We walk, I walked behind them through the Sharks dressing room, so I was right next to the Sharks bench uh, uh, on the ice as the players were introduced. They got a, you know, a huge ovation. The Sharks players were pounding their sticks, you know, against the boards, you know, as as, as tribute, and so. I, I wouldn't say the guys were on the verge of tears, but they were really touched. Well, they must they have really felt like rock yeah. stars that night. That's so they cool. Did. Yeah. And then afterwards, they went to uh, the, the the Sharks had a uh, luxury suite for them to watch the game. So I, I sat in the third period with them, and I would not have wanted to have got the liquor bill for that. <laughs> <laughs> so you got yeah. something out of it too. That's yeah. a pretty baller yeah. night. That's a, yeah. like your. That's like a third baller story already. That's, I'm sure yeah. there's so many more. Yeah. No, that I think it's a just overall the documentary is so cool because it brings a period of time to the new generation to sort of help educate people on hey this really shaped you know hockey mm-hmm. and it also is sort of reminiscent for people that do remember big yeah. hockey fans and especially people of the bay area so it kind of connects people to a really cool story that that yeah. happens so that's mm-hmm. that's really neat yeah and not to you know uh you know you don't seem like someone who brags a lot so i'll brag for you that the documentary <laughs> actually just won um an award right at, yes, at, in, in canada. canada yeah we won the audience award for best documentary film at the central alberta film festival that's so that's congratulations awesome. you're kind yeah. of a rock star too they're yeah. rock stars and i think you are too from just going oh. through this whole experience and oh. putting this together oh. so oh, go go watch it buy it on well you iTunes. have at least two people who are going to do that are going to do that okay. we're yes. going to go buy it and watch it on itunes okay yep. thank you it's and the, all our listeners will Okay, yeah. And it's the, the, the California Golden Seal story available only on iTunes. And you can awesome. also, they can also, people can also follow you on, I think you have a Facebook page, right? I have right? a Facebook at, 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 at uh, it, that's, yeah, you just have to look for, uh, I think it's California Golden Seal story. I just changed the name. Uh, and, and on Twitter, I'm at, uh, at Seals Hockey Doc. Awesome. And there's some trailers and things that people can catch. If, they can follow for any future. If you Google the name, you'll see a whole bunch of uh, clips on YouTube and, mm-hmm. and information about the film and everything. So Very cool. Yeah, so, so thank well, you. thank you so much, yeah, Mark. We appreciate awesome. it. Yeah, I'm enamored. I feel like a little kid just like <gasps> just like soaking up all of the stories. And this and is our favorite kind of history <laughs> lesson. Yes, you know? exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm 58 years old and you know, the chance to meet these guys that I grew up watching, uh, it was, it was such a thrill. And then just, you know, and then to, you know, hanging out with them and then having them tell stories is, was, was just a, a thrill for me. Yeah. It was just, it was probably just so much fun. For yeah, yeah that's tremendous. That's that's amazing. Well, thank you for doing the documentary and bringing that story to light. So, and we'll help share it out. And I can't wait to watch the whole thing. All right, thank you so much. Thank Thanks you so much.